Happy Friday, Facebook, and I am beyond excited. We have got author Stephanie Erickson, who is a master of social work, a licensed social worker with us to talk about her book, Plan for Aging Well. I can't tell you how excited I am. It's really important that we start talking about aging and how we want to age. So stick with us before while we dive in to Stephanie's newest book. Welcome back, and I'm going to turn it over to the ever-famous Catherine Wells. The <laughs> ever-famous. I'm not sure. What am I famous for today? Anything exciting? <laughs> Anything exciting. Well, you've got yeah. wonderful children and, and a buddy, you know, uh, technology application, so you've got a lot to be grateful for. I okay. Oh, I, I definitely have a lot to be grateful for, and this is one of the things I have, a lot, I have to be grateful for, the Mavericks of Senior Living, because we have been so fortunate to – attract like-minded people, people who are really breaking the barriers and breaking status quo and talking about the things that have just not been talked about. And Stephanie, welcome to our show. We're excited to have you here. Thank you both very, very much for having me. Yeah. So Stephanie, um, tell our audience a little bit about who you are, where, wh- how you got into doing what you're doing, and, and then introduce your book to our audience. Okay, so who I am, I'm going to go to explaining myself in a non-role way because part of what I actually talk about in my book is emotional and spiritual support and care, and that really has nothing to do with a role, like I'm a social worker. Although, yes, I'm a social worker, but who I am is someone who believes in justice, who fights for equality, and who advocates for vulnerable populations, and I try and spread love out in the world. And yes, I'm also a social worker and a mom, and I have a dog, and uh, I married, and I do the flying trapeze. So those are other things about me. (laughs) Well said. Like, for real, you do the flying trapeze? For real. Oh, here's my coffee cup. Yep. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. How fun is that? That is fantastic. I want to ask real quick before we dive into the meat, how long have you been doing the flying trapeze? Uh, We're going on eight years now. That is awesome. Yeah. Wow. And, and we, what is that? Do you have a partner? Is that your husband? Uh, no, my husband. Oh, my God, no. He would have no interest <laughs> in doing this at me. all. <laughs> no, I've been, I, well, I fly with the team. You know, I go to oh. a circus school, a, you know, a very specialized school for the flying trapeze. And, of course, I have lots of like-minded people. And all of us, well, I don't want to use that language, but we call ourselves old blanks because all of us are 45 and up in our group and it's awesome because we're pushing boundaries of age absolutely and that's what we we are here to talk about so really exciting um there's been a lot of conversation about ageism in the media there's been a lot of conversation i think among people in our age group and francis is on the younger side of our age group i'm on the older side you're probably right in the middle but just sort of in this this sort of middle of life, there's a lot of conversation about what happens when we age because we see our parents doing it. We've seen our grandparents go through it. Um, and even those two generations are different in how they age. We're living longer, healthier. And how does that look when we begin to age? Um, so I'll just ask you if you can share your book and the, the content of your book. 
Okay, it's called Plan for Aging Well, and ageism is something that I talk about actually from the get-go because I think that's part of the problem as to why we don't have good care and support for our seniors because we somehow, as a society, devalue people as they age. And I think it's a, it's a very large problem in that we're a, like a productivity-focused society where everything is measured and there's outcomes and there's tangible things that come out of it. That's why I started with who am I? I'm trying to spread love. I'm trying to uh, advocate for vulnerable people. It's not about something that I'm producing. It's not a thing. It's who I am in me. And as people age, they can no longer do in the traditional sense. They're not producing in our society. And we sort of think, well, what's the point of having them around? That's where I think a lot of this comes from. And also just our culture as North Americans, actually, we've kind of developed this like out of sight, out of mind when people are older, let's just you know send them over here. And I'm not against people who need care and who live in care residences. It's not that I'm against that. It's just, I think it's the way in which we imagine aging is, okay, here you go. Now you're put somewhere else. And so to me, all of the care and support that follows is based on this ageist society. I think that's very well said because for the longest time I got into this because of my grandfather's predominantly one had dementia, one had Parkinson's. And it kind of always was scratched my head when we just segregate those older adults that need this X, whatever X may be. And one thing that hit me really hard right out on the front of your book on that first page was we are doing aging wrong. I mean, you have great content, but I love how you set the tone right from the get-go there because Catherine and I and a lot of other like-minded people have always had this moment of pause like why is what we're doing today okay why since when did we just start settling for this is it and I love that we now are having people like you other like-minded that we're pushing the envelope finally on talking about how we want to age and then taking action to make it happen I thank you for saying that about that. That's the first sentence of my book. And actually, a lot of people have reflected on that. Some people have said that's like the best line in the entire book. Yeah, I, go, I, I, hope not, I hope it's not downhill from there. Yeah, I think you got some other good stuff, but I just love the tone you set from that with that that point. Yeah. And, and I, I think I am trying to call people out. Like, let's stop saying let's improve what we have. Let's rethink, restructure, reimagine what we have. It's not about adding more staff, which is a great thing to do. So again, I'm not condoning the governments and the organizations right. for saying, let's increase staff numbers. Obviously we need to do that, but it's not about just putting more bodies there. It's about how are those bodies helping other people and how do we see the bodies that we're giving care to? It's right. so much more than that. It's, it's a, like, it's a very philosophical, I think, approach. Um, but I hope that people really look at themselves, look deep and hard at how they think of someone who's aging and what are their actions doing for those who are aging around them, and then also for themselves and obviously down until the, into uh, different generations. That's, that's really well said. Yeah, and that line, by the way, is also the first line in your LinkedIn um, profile, as you explain uh, your business. And I think it caught my attention too. It's like, Yes. Um, Albert Einstein has a great quote, uh, and I won't get all the words exactly right, but think differently. We cannot solve today's problems with the same thinking we use to create them. 
And that's really that whole idea of let's deconstruct what exists today or Absolutely. just kind of try to start from scratch. That doesn't mean we go over here and we build everything from scratch. Mm -hmm. But if we start with a blank piece of paper, we'll start bringing in some of the things that are working today and leaving out some of the, the other things. Um, I, I know that your background is, well, first of all, you're coming to us from Montreal, correct? Yes. Right. So um, any of our listeners who are out there, tell us where you're watching from. And if you have any questions for Stephanie along the way, please ask them. This is a, a great opportunity to get it directly from the author of this amazing book. Um, I know that you are a family caregiver expert. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, to, I'll be very, very honest with you that term, it's more of a branding thing and it just sounds gross saying it, but oh. when you're trying to get your message out mm -hmm. and you want a consistent presence so people know who to go to for a particular lane of information. Mm -hmm. And so that is why I've kind of branded myself like that. It sounds very egotistical actually to even say it because there's lots of people that have way more experience than me and or at least equivalent knowledge. Um, but what that means to me is that I have devoted my life to supporting people who are caring for somebody else. It hasn't always been seniors. That's been the last uh, 16 years of my life, really focused on individuals who have dementia. But I've also been a palliative care social worker. I've worked in youth protection services. I've worked in the homeless population, domestic violence. I've done a lot of stuff, uh, mental illness. Um, and all of this is about caring for someone else. So for me, my perspective is always about how do we support the system? There's the person mm -hmm. that has the identified problem, whatever that is, but it's not just the person, it's the entire system around them. And that's always been uh, my approach. That sounds a lot like you, Catherine, with your care team, your care circle, right? That we've talked yeah. about a lot. It sounds like you and Stephanie have that same idea of it's this team effort or this circle right around your loved one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking, even as I said it, and, and you, you said, you know, the term expert doesn't sound, doesn't feel quite right to you, but it's what helps people understand what aisle, what shelf, right? Exactly. Um, which is very important if we're going to get to the opportunity to be able to help people. So I think about the term caregiver. And when I hear that, I also, I have that reaction. And I feel like they're just, we have to come up with maybe a new word altogether because even care partner, it just, it all feels so construed when really we're just human beings, we're helping other people. And that's not powerful enough words, I guess. Um, I love what I love what you just said, Catherine. I was on a, a panel yesterday with an organization who's a very wealthy organization, national, who's creating this foundation and what they want to focus on is caregiving. So we had this panel and there's a bunch of experts on it in all, in all different areas. And one of the things we talked a lot about was language and how the term caregiver doesn't even work. And we kind of got off on a bit, but we had so many things to talk about, we couldn't really just stay there. And of course you can't solve that in, in you know one little panel. But language is extremely important. How we identify ourselves and others is important. And I think labels can be good for a lot of things because if we can identify who we are and what it means, we know who to go for for the support. Like a caregiving expert, you know how to get me and what I can do for you. So I'm not against labels, but I think they can pigeonhole us mm -hmm. for sure. And it's not even just about the caregiver. It's things like 
and a colleague of mine, her name is Marie-Claude Piger, and she's on a rampage about the word placement. It just drives her crazy. And I agree with her. We don't place a person. We place like my coffee cup down, not a person, right? So there's so much language yeah. that's yeah. 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 threaded into aging, which just doesn't help our cause, which is let's talk about it. Let's not be afraid of it. Let's get it out in the open. And language is a great place to start. And that's the part that I, you know, maybe the fresh perspective that I took 11 years ago when I started to get into this space was I was kind of always asking the question, well, why? And a lot of the answer I kept getting was, well, we used to do this. We used to do this. We've always done this. Or this is how we did it 10 years ago or this or that. And there's no industry or no idea that we would be complacent with doing what we did 10 years ago. Yet for some reason, when it comes to aging, whatever we designed in the 40s, 50s or 60s or even 70s is 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 OK today. And it's like what? No other space would would accept that. I mean, we just wouldn't look at how fast phones have changed. I mean, every year something fancy comes out of a piece of tech. Yet when we're talking about people, it's like this idea of like it's it's OK. It's fine. That's so interesting, Francis. I haven't even thought, like, haven't really gone to that place. But innovation, you're right. Innovation in the world of our space, it's unheard of. And even, even, and now I, I live because I live in Montreal and in Canada, it's a socialist system. So mm -hmm. there is a socialized system. So there's a lot of um, public services available. But even when I was in California, it was the same thing where there is sort of a, a weirdness about, what do you mean you're a social worker and you're charging people? How dare you? Like, well, I don't understand. Why can't I innovate and be an entrepreneur and try and develop something really creative and new to help people and still value my work and get paid for it? So it's so true when it comes to that um, like connection, person to person, innovation is looked down on. I never even thought about it. It's so true. I know that's the part that it rattles my head a little bit is that we're okay every year the cost of a computer iPhone, whatever technology goes up, right? And it's no big deal. But when you say you want to do a value add or improve this or change this when it comes to how we talk about aging or health or wellness, everyone's like, that's crazy. You, you, why would you do that? Yeah. Well, why not? Like, why can't we desire to be better than we were yesterday and whatever better may be, whether that's half a percent or no percent? But I don't know. I guess I just get frustrated, you know, with the fact that I, I see it every day is like we just have these systems that have worked in the past. But why not challenge it for the future? Yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, sorry, Kathy, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask you um, a question to kind of bring it back to your book a little bit. When you started writing it, which you mentioned earlier, you started like five years ago. What things did you learn in the process of writing this book? I learned so much about myself, actually. Um, what I saw five years ago was just compounded with COVID because I, I started the book five years ago, but I put it aside after like three months. I just couldn't with my kids and family responsibilities. And I picked it up again October of last year mm -hmm. and was almost done in February when COVID wow. hit. So like my introduction I threw out and rewrote because now I wanted to include COVID and highlighting what we already knew is that our mm -hmm. care and support for seniors is deplorable. And now we know it and everybody knows it. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't that I learned more about my profession. I learned a lot about myself though, what I'm capable of. Um, I learned a lot about how much I'm still worried about what people think about me because I was so afraid when the book was done 
my coach kept saying, okay, well, let's upload it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know because I, I'm, I'm still worried. People are going to send me emails. Oh, there's a typo. Oh, you said this and you don't know what you're talking about. So I'm still learning how insecure I actually really am. And this book has really brought it out. Um, but I also learned how smart I am, how well-spoken I am, how clear of a message I can not only uh, deliver verbally, but also in writing. So I also learned some great things about myself. And at the end of the day, I have to just kind of let it go and work to get it out there, but also just it is what it is and just feel that professional and personal accomplishment, regardless of what happens with sales and all that kind of thing. Stephanie, thank you. Thank you for being so honest and vulnerable in that. Yes. So many of us struggle with that. Um, I, I certainly do. And it is hard to put yourself out there. And I'm so grateful that you have put yourself out there. The resource that you've created for people is so needed and it will attract the people. I believe it will attract the people that need to read it and hear this message and want to hear this message and are open to it. Um, you're making change. And that's why we have you here on our show, because we look for people who are making change and really breaking the status quo. So and thank you for being so honest and vulnerable. Thank and I, I applaud you as well, too. This is really resonates well um, with, I think, what we need. It, it is not a book that just acknowledges we're okay. It really pushes us to think more. And that's this one section. I think it, you call it feeding the soul. Um, that really stuck out with me when I went through it because um, it, it's what we need. It's this idea that there is more to us than just this, that there's these ideas behind us, no matter how old or young we are. And we have to feed that, whether we are living with dementia or living with something else. Uh, and I think that's often lost. And so I, I love the fact that you brought it back to that um, because oftentimes we overlook, we, 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 I feel we look at the person of their diagnoses not as the person they are. And, and I think when we stop and look at them as a person living with something, we will finally go back to valuing them no matter where they are in the, the phase of life. Um, so I applaud that a lot. I, I, I mean Thank that. you. Thank you so much. And, you know, Kathy, when you're talking about, um, you know, the vulnerability and, and throughout my book, I talk about some personal examples of myself when I talk about feeding the soul or there's a chapter called special considerations, which I talk about different groups. I'll use that term, you know, those of veterans or, you know, those who have been witness of crimes against humanity or experienced that or mental illness. And in that portion, I talk about, you know, I live with anxiety and there are some days that are debilitating. I mean, Tuesday, I was crying half the day, you know, just because my anxiety was really bad on Tuesday. Today, I feel great. You know, that's just, that's who we are as humans. And if we do not start like am i allowed to swear no we're on facebook yeah um, you're allowed to swear yep. okay. <laughs> i think i think there's just a bunch of bullshit out there a bunch of fakeness a bunch of i'm going to pretend things are so great and put these great pictures online and these great stories and it's just it's not right because we are all struggling everybody has something not everybody but uh, most people have something in their life that they're struggling with and Absolutely. if we don't put it out there now we'll never get there when we're aging and so then when I'm 85 years old and off in the corner in a wheelchair slumped over, no one's attending to me knowing that perhaps I had anxiety. And now I feel even more anxious because I'm being isolated and alone or my soul is not being fed. 
you know, and I think it's all about us really just opening up, being transparent, being honest and getting a real conversation going about what's happening right now in our lives and how that will project and translate into our aging life. Wow. Yeah. yeah really well said. Yeah. Very well said. Absolutely. So in talking um, in talking about the content of your book, and it, it's clear you have a lot of passion behind this, and I'm so grateful for that uh, because that's what got you to get over the finish line with it, shall I say, which is what I always struggle with. Um, if you could tell our audience one thing that you wish they would take away from the book, um, and I didn't phrase that very well, but so that they understand why they might want to go read this book, what one thing do you really hope people walk away with? Facing what will become didn't not make it happen. In other words, you know, and I, I use a, someone was telling me this the other day, if you talk to your teenagers about sex, it doesn't make them go out and have sex. If you talk to them about drugs, it doesn't make them become drug users. And if we talk about aging, it doesn't like take away the fact that we're all going to get old, you know? So I think being afraid of the conversation is what is going to be your demise. Um, and the conversations that those proactive conversations, number one, that we have to have with ourselves is really reflecting in and of ourselves. What do we want? What do we want our life to be? What is that trajectory? What kind of support and help and love do we want around us? And what does it look like? Getting to know ourselves first, having that proactive conversations with families that is gonna be your winning ticket to fight against everything you're afraid of by not talking about it. So don't be afraid to have the conversation and don't feel pressured that you have to have the answer overnight. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. You should be having these conversations for years and they will adapt and change. My grandmother, who's now 97, um, four years ago when my, five years ago when my grandfather died and we, he was cremated, and we had this incredible ceremony. And then my grandma said, you know what? I'm changing, I'm changing my, um, my wishes. I don't want to be buried. Now I want to be cremated. She did this at 91. Uh, so, and she made a change. So you, right. can, you can make changes over time. So don't be afraid you're going to get locked into something. Just start the conversation. Just start it. Have it leak out a little bit. Slowly it will become more comfortable. And pretty soon you'll be able to talk about it, hopefully, like, like us. Yeah. <laughs> you, you made a really good point there. It's uh, at least in America, and I, I think the same is true in Canada, um, we're so driven to be productive and meet our goals. And so there's a deadline and there's there's an end point, right? And what you're describing is there's not really an end point to this. This is just an ongoing conversation about life and all the different things that happen throughout life. And my dad used to say when he was in assisted living and maybe in his last year or two of his life, he would say, this is not what I planned for my life. And us kids would remind him, actually, dad, you did everything you planned. You said you wanted to travel. You said you wanted to, you know, lengthy list of things. And we would go down the list. You did all of those. You did it. You made your life happen. And this is a phase of life. And it was just an interesting thing to experience. And hearing you talk about the ongoing conversation is really, really important. Because it makes it less of a scary thing, right? Yeah. And I think, Kathy, the story you're telling about your dad is a reflection of what we all need when we age, is that opportunity to process what is behind us and what is in front of us. And mm -hmm. that's another thing that where we hit, where we miss the mark. 
in supporting seniors is we don't provide them the time and the patience to sit and listen and the prompting questions and the exploration of their life and doing that review. We don't allow for that. And when we don't allow for these things like you did with your father, allowed him to express his disappointment or discouragement about his life and you guys helping him to bring him back to all the things he's achieved would hopefully minimize and hopefully did minimize the kind of physical pain that he even felt at the end because there's absolutely a connection with physical pain and emotional and spiritual pain. But yeah. we don't want to unlock the emotion and spiritual pain. And so we focus on physical and give people pills, but that doesn't solve the underlying thing. And so we really need to help people expand their souls, their emotions, their psychologies. As their body's slowing down, we pump all that up and give them an opportunity to process. So at the end of their life, they feel at least a sense of not necessarily relief, but yes. I said what I needed to say, you know? Yeah. Oh, I have to. Oh, my goodness. So I have to say this at, at when my dad was on hospice, they did the life review. Yes. So as soon as you said that, I'm thinking, why do we wait until they're on hospice? Why? And I have always been a very, very strong believer that when someone does move into senior living, there should be a social worker or someone in that type of a role who is just assigned to that family, the whole family, and helps the older adult with the transition, the emotional, the mental, um, and physical, and, and also helps the families. Because the families, as we all know, our roles change in that process, and we're stepping into new roles we aren't maybe comfortable with or didn't expect to be in. And we're letting go of other roles that we're so familiar with and so, so comfortable in. So um, I just think that that really struck me when you said that. Yeah, and it's something that I learned as a palliative care social worker. And it's exactly what you're, you're exactly right, Kathy. Why are why are we waiting? And in my team caregiving chapter, I talk about all the different um, professionals that can be involved in creating this team approach and this care plan. And one of the things I talk about is a, is a chaplain, a spiritual advisor. Mm -hmm. Why do we not have someone like that full-time? Why do we not have a full-time social worker, a full-time occupational therapist, perhaps a psychologist? It depends on the skills of the social worker, you know, right. um, or how, um, how much is needed in terms of a particular mental illness. But we're, we're neglecting all of these other types of professionals as being full-time and integral parts. And on a side note, it's kind of funny, one of my editors, when he read through, he was doing the copywriting at the very end, proofreading. And he wrote me a note, like he did a couple content content suggestions. And one of the things he said was, you say having a full-time chaplain, it's just unrealistic. Why don't you put part-time? I said, hell no, because it should be full-time. I don't care if it's unrealistic. <laughs> I'm getting full-time. That's yep. the point of the book, you know? Like, why are we not doing that? <laughs> because something yeah. is not unrealistic. The problem we have is it's unrealistic in the way we've designed the aging today. And, it's, and that's the issue I have is we're being told by these mega senior living corporations, this is how you're supposed to age. And there's nothing that's preventing us from putting it on its head, doing the things that we know that can be better to improve what aging can be. There's no reason why we can't design a system that has exactly what you want on it. You know, when it comes to chaplain, social worker, the occupational therapy, the only reason we are, we are being told to that's preposterous is because it doesn't fit into this money model, this aging model of long-term care providers today. And they are worried about the disruption that will come, that will impact 
how they think aging should be to how aging will be. And that's, I think, the biggest issue is that the things that you want is how we should age. And if that's the case, we need to take action to create those models. Because I believe with what you and Kathy said is those integral social connectedness is so important. And often it gets lost in this idea of this house, this home, this new living with 100 other people. But I think we have to break that. And we have to start with what you're talking about today. Amen. <laughs> yeah, and and I, I amen, absolutely. And I do have to say there are some providers out there, there are, yeah. Big Box and and the right. smaller homes that are now looking at new ways to do it and I think yeah. COVID's had a lot to do with that. So we want to celebrate them because they're yes. going to help lead the way and um, and that's part of the taking action that Francis and I are are really interested in. How can we take action? So um, let me leave you with that question, Stephanie. What action would you want our listeners to take after hearing this podcast? Well, I think it all goes down to money, as you were saying, Francis, and fiscal responsibility. And I, I understand that most of, especially in the States, those that are, are owners of larger homes, it's the bottom line. And they put the money into the bells and whistles. And I understand from a marketing perspective why they might need to do that. So I think actually we need to go to our political figures and start demanding for more money to be poured into care and support for older adults and seniors and creating maybe that public-private partnership where some public funds can be brought in because then maybe the private organizations will be able to flip things upside down on their head because they'll have the funding to rethink things differently. So to me, it's about going to whoever it is local and start demanding that more care and support is given financially to the senior population and then hopefully having the right people leading the charge so that it's not just more of the same and that we are rethinking and redesigning the system. I love that. I love that. So you hear that. The action that we want you guys to take is talk to your local representatives, whether it's city, state, whatever it is, talk to them about the importance of us taking care of our older adults. Do it. Do it today. Excellent. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you. We thank you for the book that you wrote. Listeners, please go check out the book. We'll have the links in our post here and everyone yeah. have thank you so much. It's a fantastic book and it's a must read for anyone that's living because <laughs> we're all going to age. And yeah. so really it, it finally talks about plan for how you want to age. Let's stop being told how we're going to age and let's take an active role in how we want to age. Thank you so much both for uh, having having me on and thank you for putting the links up of where people can get the book. Yes. Anytime. I'll, I'm, I love this conversation. Have me back anytime. <laughs> All right. We'll talk soon. Right. Everyone have a wonderful weekend and stay tuned for uh, next Friday where we have another wonderful guest. Thank you.